Hey, we're back. Good. Well, I say good morning. It's good afternoon over in Oz. Um, we are the Leisure Report podcast and we are back with season three and episode four, but part two of that episode four. So as you can probably remember, we done a lot of injury prevention in, in episode one. Um, but we also understand that some people are sort of past that point. So we've gone to uh, we're going to go and have a look at recovery and rehab. And we are really, uh, really excited to be joined again by uh, South Coast RX, uh, Dan and Cam. Um, thank you guys for coming back on. No, thank you so much for having us again. Yeah, cheers um, for having us. No, um, so, so we got some really good response from, um, from, from episode one. Um, which is the injury prevention and a lot of the questions probably reflected a little bit more towards this episode Um, so a lot of questions that we got back when people listened to that podcast were sort of um, will probably get answered in this episode too of you know the the recovery and the rehab side so I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into the recovery um, and 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 rehab and and how that works and 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 what we do around that so um, so yeah so um, Ray we will uh, we get started with uh, with some of our questions. So, um, we got a sponsor for today, Ray. Are we we're going to let the guys sponsor this one again. That's They're not our sponsor. Yeah, let them sponsor it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so sponsored by South Coast RX Physiotherapy and 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 Cam Dan. Can you just get, Cam Dan? Um, could you just um, just quickly because I know you guys are. Some, um, you've got multiple locations now across Hampshire, and I think it'd be really, um, really useful just to give a quick shout out to where they are, um, yeah. and also yeah, just yeah. a quick shout out to how people get hold of you because I think that's quite important. Yeah, of course. So we've got um, two main clinic locations now. So one is situated in Southern Legion Gym, and that's really kind of our HQ. Um, and then our other clinic room is in a gym called Renegade. So these guys opened up um, over the course of the first lockdown. And um, it's a very similar environment to what we've got at Southern Legion. And um, they're a group of really kind of passionate um, personal trainers who have set up a, a really good gym environment. Um, and, and if you are struggling with um, pain, discomfort, injuries, you can either get hold of us, go onto our website, you can fill out a form um, and book an appointment that way, or it's got all of our contact details in there. You can just give us a ring um, and book an appointment that way. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah just on that as well, we're also developing, um, trying to get more of a presence on social media and giving advice to people. And we're writing blogs and we're aiming to do one once a month. So they're just resources there that people can use for some advice. And we did a blog um, covering the main topics from last, uh episode one's podcast and we'll do the same for this one so it's yeah. um the advice that we're putting out there but then like cam said it's the best way is just to drop us a message and we're always happy to help even if it's not necessarily for an appointment if you need anything then we're here always here to, to help and you guys have got facebook pages and instagram pages as well haven't you which is a really good way to to get in touch yeah perfect great stuff cool. so right so just to get started then guys so Talk us through an injury and what the tissues are going through. Um, yeah, just give us a basic outline of what, what an injury is, really. Yeah, so, yeah, it's a real good question to kick it off. If we, I think it might help to just go back to uh, just a quick summary of last episode of what an injury is. 
The real basic model, it's when load exceeds the adaptability or the capacity of that muscle, tendon or ligament, whatever the structure it is. Um, when that load is too much of what, um, compared to what you're used to, then you're going to have um, a reaction in the tissue and that, that's what causes an injury. Now, what's amazing is the body has an incredible ability to adapt and it will naturally go through a tissue healing response um, to, to heal that that whatever you've injured will go from muscle, for example, back to the level that it was before. Um, it's, it's made up of three phases. Firstly, you've got an inflammatory component. This is completely normal. You need that inflammation, which typically happens in the first, uh, first hour and can be up to two or three days. And that inflammation is gonna get increased blood flow and supply that injured tissue with the nutrients that it needs and the cells that it needs to kickstart that healing process. So really important in that early phase um, that inflammatory process. Then you go into a proliferation phase uh, and that's just a fancy word. What it basically means is the body's laying down um, scar tissue. Now this is like we just talked about it before but it's laying the foundation of that tissue and it's starting to heal it. Um, this can take up two or three weeks and then after that you go into a remodeling phase where that scar tissue develops the strong contractile tissue, collagen, muscle fibers, to allow you to do the activity, the sport of what you did before. And that, that's, that's the full process. Three phases, inflammation, uh, laying down of scar tissue, so proliferation and remodeling, that's your rehab. We'll talk about how physio intervention is kind of specific to each of those, because it will vary. Um, and that, that, that's a key note to, uh, to, to point out straight away. And, and Catherine Cam will mention that a bit later on. Um, but your body will heal. How long it takes depends on what you've injured, uh, the complexity, there's, there's, we kind of grade it in terms of muscles, ligaments and tendons are grade one through to grade three. Grade one is a small tear of the, of the muscles, which, which can happen quite normally. That's got, that's got a, a real good evidence that you can make a full recovery from that. And then full, through to grade two, which is a partial tear. And then grade three is a bit more serious. So it, it can take as quick as, three to four weeks on a simple grade one, but it can be a bit longer, that process. It just depends what you've injured, how good the blood supply is um, and how, how severe it is. But that's, that's in essence, the healing process. Yeah. Um, <coughs> just just going to go straight into that then, Dan, like what you were yeah. talking before we started. So if you if someone Googles an injury or something like that, the, the research that you get from that Google search is rest, elevate, well, ice, elevate, um, which we were just saying then. Um, Good old very, Google. Very old data, isn't it? Um, yeah, that's that, that's that classic um, rice principle you're talking about, rest, um, ice, compression, elevation. Yeah. And what's really interesting is that's, um, that's really old advice. Um, scientific research has come a long way since then. But that's, <coughs> that's really the information that most people go to in those really early stages of, a, of an acute injury, so an injury that's just happened. And in terms of optimizing your, your recovery and your rehabilitation, that starts straight away. So there are really pragmatic things that you can do straight away that sets the tone for your rehabilitation journey. And um, so what I'll do now is I'll just introduce, I suppose, an updated model of, um, of injury management. So rather than rice, rest, ice, compression, elevation, it's now moved to give it some peace and love. So I'll just introduce exactly what that is. So P stands for protection. And um, 
that's really important in those early stages. So the pain that you're getting from that injury is um, is really a protective mechanism. And that's just about using your common sense. So say you've um, rolled your ankle, you're not going to go straight away and try and do a 5k run. It's just about being sensible. So in those really early stages of an injury, just protecting it a little bit. Um, and then elevation. So that can really help prevent um, excessive swelling. So Dan introduced um, inflammation a second ago. You get inflammation and swelling. They're slightly different, but they go hand in hand. Um, swelling can be divided into edema, which is in the tissues, or effusion, which is in the joint itself. But if you get excessive swelling, you might have seen it when you've rolled your ankle before. It really minimizes the amount that you can move your joint. Um, moving your joint through range can be really helpful once you get to that remodeling phase, so that new tissue that's been laid down. You really want to get that tissue moving through the range so it can get used to the, that, that movement. So elevation can help that excessive swelling forming um, and can help your joint move through range. So the next one um, is A, so avoid anti-inflammatories. So as Dan discussed, that infl inflammatory process that occurs in those, in those really early stages is really important for, um, for, for um, recovery. So avoiding anti-inflammatories in those first couple of days um, actually optimizes that recovery process. Next one, compression. So again, that helps with avoiding that excessive swelling. So you might have seen the tubey grip that you can buy in, um, in shops. That can be really helpful if it's, uh, if it's an ankle, for example, of just providing a light little bit of compression to, to aid that lymphatic to get some of that swelling out of, the, um, out of the joint. Next one is really important, and that's education. So going to see a healthcare professional or a physio in those really early stages of, of an injury can really help set your expectations of what you should expe be expecting over the course of that rehab journey. Um, but it also gives you reassurance about what you've actually done and the confidence to start moving that joint. So this next part of, of the kind of peace and love injury management model now is what really separates it from the old style rest, ice, compression, elevation. So L stands for load. So load is really important in getting that new tissue to, um, to adapt, to become strong and to, to get you back to, to the sport in which you've come from. So graduated strengthening, graduated loading is what is going to get that tissue um, strong, adaptable, resilient and ready to meet the demands um, of your sport. The next one is optimism. And um, this takes into account that holistic model of care that we talked about before. If you are, if you feel reassured, if you know, if you're not fearful to move because you feel confident that you haven't done a really serious injury that you know that you're not doing any more damage by moving it, then that really can accelerate that recovery process by allowing you to load it, allowing you to move your joint. Um, next one is vascularization. So this goes hand in hand with exercise and vascularization just means increased blood flow. So again, using the ankle injury, if you can do some in the early stages, non-weight bearing activities like riding a bike, Increasing your blood flow to the area is going to really help accelerate that recovery process as well. Um, and then the final one, E, is exercise. Exercise done in a graded way is going to be really helpful, not only for the vascularization purposes that I just talked about, but also because of the load and the movement that you're going to get through a joint. But this all has to tie back into, back into your symptoms. And an indication that you might have pushed it too much in those early stages, or if you, if you get increased pain, increased swelling, that's an idea that you might push it a bit too much. 
So really, it's about utilising these principles, but just being sensible, remembering that first and foremost point protection, not pushing it too much, but actually getting yourself moving, getting the joint loaded. And there's some really good evidence now um, talking about, for example, muscular injuries, so hamstring strains. Actually, the earlier you can start loading those tissues, the better the outcome you're going to have, as long as it's done in a really controlled way. Um, Sorry, Dan. Um, I was just going to say that, that. Go on, mate. Go on. Sorry, Dan. I was just going to say, just it, it, that model, that peace and love model that Cameron's just just gone through, is 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 based on the latest evidence. And I think it was published by the British Medical Journal yeah. Sports yeah. two years ago. Cam, the late. So it's it it really is up to date, and it brings in all the recent research that, um, which, which is exactly what Cameron said about early mobilisation and and early loading. Obviously, like graded in the first instance because there is that immature scar tissue that needs to strengthen up and, and develop the, the strength um which, which takes several weeks but if you do that if you follow this model early on then then you're gonna you're, you're gonna optimize your recovery and your transition through that process which everyone has to go through will be smoother uh, and, and quicker you'll really make the most out of it and i think historically as clinicians me and dan often see people who um who what they do in the first instance is just completely rest. And, and they still go through that tissue healing process. So their pain, their symptoms dissipate. And what happens is they get to a point where they're kind of walking around pain free and they think, brilliant, I'll return back to my sport now. I'm not in any pain. And what happens is because that new tissue that's been laid down hasn't been exposed to the demands of their sport, it's not necessarily strong, adaptable, resilient. They go back to their sport without having rehabbed it properly. They either re-injure it or because they've spent such a long time resting, they've deconditioned and they're at then possibly a higher risk of an injury elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully this gives the, that model gives the people, uh, people confidence to, 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 to start moving in the really early stages of an injury. One thing I do want to stress is that this is um, a model for a soft tissue injury. If you've done an injury that you think you might have broken a bone, our advice is you have to go to the walk-in centre because um, uh, a broken bone has to be managed in a slightly different way. And soft tissue, sorry, ligament, tendon and muscle is what we're talking about here. This is the healing process that we're describing. It is slightly different for bone, which, which as Cameron said, that, that's quite interesting as well because um, I've had I've had both. So I've had a, a soft tissue injury and a broken bone, and the body at those very early stages, they it does very similar things, doesn't it? Like that swelling instantly. So it is best to sort of get that, um, let's say, get that checked out. I'm I'm really glad actually that you guys have brought that up. This this the, the peace and love model because. I, I don't feel that there's enough education around that at the moment. And that might just be from, that might just be from, from uh, the past is that we always get told or we always have been told um, just rest, don't do anything. Um, and like you just said there, you know, I've always been quite a big advocate of trying to do stuff, trying to get things back moving again. And it's actually really good now that that is actually a, a full blown model. That's, that's, that's going to be how, how, how long, because if I was to go to a GP or a walking centre and I don't see someone of your skill set um, within the NHS, they will probably more than likely say at the minute, just rest. Um, and we've had experience in, in our family of that very, very, very exact thing. I'll oh, just rest. And it almost goes back to that 
I think it was O on the love part where you have to get that confidence of actually going to, to actually do something. But ultimately, like if you, if you get told that by a an NHS professional, just rest. You tend to just do that, and it's just getting that point, getting to that point where someone like you guys are actually saying, "No, actually, we can now start." Obviously, in a graded way, in a very controlled way, we need to get things moving again to, to make sure that we you're rebuilding um, what you had previously. Yeah, and yeah. I think that 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 advice rest was really born out of hedging your bets that with rest you still go through a tissue healing process. So the likelihood is, is that someone is still going to be getting better, but what you're not doing is optimizing their recovery. This model has the potential to speed your recovery up, but we're talking about recovery in active populations. You know, if you just rest and um, you're going to be going, uh, you know, as you start to feel a little bit better, you start doing your activities of daily living, you start a bit better day to day. And for most people, that's absolutely fine. But if you're active, if you're sporting and this injury has put you out for a little bit of time, you want to get back to your sport. So this updated model should give people confidence and step by step approach um, in terms of, of what to do to get back to their sport. And that where Dan talked about remodeling as well, that's really where the um, the art and skill set of rehabilitation comes in, because you have to look at everyone as a, as a unique individual and what the demands of their sport are. So we would rehab a runner slightly differently to we would rehab someone who um, is, is uh, a CrossFitter, for example. The demands of their sport are different. So we have to tailor that rehab to that tissue so that it's exposed in a graded way to the demand of that sport. I think, um, shall, we, shall we come up with an example, like and just bounce ideas of how we might do that? So say, say there's an ankle sprain and someone's injured uh, their ATFL ligament, their anterior talar fibular ligament, which is a real common ligament on the outside of the ankle. They've rolled their ankle, they've injured that ligament, so it's a soft tissue injury, and it has puffed off and it's swollen and they've come in to see us on day two. And they say, look, I, like I'm, I'm a long jumper, I need to get back to training as soon as possible. It's plyometric activities, it's high level. In the first instance, we're going to obviously assess it, look at it, get the right diagnosis, uh, number one, but we're happy with the diagnosis. Then rest is appropriate in the sense that we, we want to protect it and, and, and we want to keep them walking um, and, and loading it. But we're not going to be saying straight, go straight back to jumping and training because it, it has to have a period to settle down. Uh, we'll advise them that that inflammation is normal because it's kickstarting that body's healing process. But like Cam said, we, we, we want to manage the swelling. We don't want too much swelling because then that can actually slow down um, healing time because if, it, if the ankle's bigger, then all those cells needed to kickstart the healing process have longer to diffuse into, into the injured site. Um, and also uh, there's going to restrict your range of movement and you might have other, it might delay your, your healing further down the line. So it's, it's about getting them maybe to rest in the first few days, strap it up, give them a bit of support, but then getting them to do some, some, some range of movement exercises straight away. That's not going to irritate it. Um, and then it might be that, so that we see them early on in the week then we see them again later on in the week get them to do some static isometric loading, which isn't necessarily going to aggravate it, um, but it means that, that as that um, scar tissue is building, the foundation is going to build nice and strong. And then they come back a week, week and a half later, the swelling's gone down, they're walking well, then we're going to progress to some weight bearing exercises, um, 
it's just and, and then start to strengthen the ankle through range maybe with some resistance bands and we kind of guide them through that process up until like the end stage like jumping hopping and, and the plyometrics and then getting back to training and it's it, that that's i think the difference you, you do have to rest it and protect it <coughs> that that rest shouldn't be dragged out for two or three weeks and that's and i think that's where there's sometimes if there's a long waiting list and you don't get to see a, a physiotherapist for some time, then that's sometimes where you're not optimizing your recovery um, because there's a lot we can do in the early stages. Um, and, and, it, and, then, and it's real important to work with the coach as well, especially if you're not familiar with the sport and, and like learn what drills, what tasks do they have to do, what exercises are gonna be most suited to what, what their goal is, um, and then add that into your program Luster training. It's it's real. I think it's really interesting, and there's so much you can do. Um, we had um we had a really good example, Dan, actually, where um I had a personal client of mine, um who was an online client through lockdown, who who um, had an injured shoulder, and we worked quite closely together on that. You wrote your program, um, and I sort of make sure my program sort of nicely fitted into what was happening with, with yours and interlinked really well, and it 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 really helped and the nice thing about that from a from a from the client's perspective is he was able to still move um he wasn't just sort of like oh i'm just sat here because he really wanted especially you know at the moment in lockdown you want to try and keep doing something if you are that you know that way inclined where you are you know out doing things every day you know just to stop and do nothing for two or three weeks is a hard thing to do so to hear this real sort of um this this real sort of step change in how how recovery is taking place i think is is really really positive yeah and that was good because we worked quite closely together like i remember i'd ask you'd, you'd tell me what what sessions you were planning and then like maybe we tweaked things and we're like okay it was a shoulder injury so we're like, let's go easy on that overhead pressing in this first week and let, let's mm. build up to that because that tends to be a little bit more irritable but that, yeah, that was that was real good and I, I mean, he's doing really well now, isn't he so he's back to like doing all his home programs and yeah, he's yeah exactly. than he was before so that's good yeah and yeah. what was so good about that was you were incorporating rest for that joint but within a program in which you were still giving him exercise you were still giving him stuff to do but it was allowing that shoulder to settle whilst he was focusing on perhaps a different area of his body still yeah. engaging in cardiovascular exercise but then you exposed that that shoulder specifically to graded graded loading so it was never complete rest. It was just resting that specific joint whilst allowing him to do other things. Yeah. And that, that, that's the model of physiotherapy. But there's so many different models. But like if, if you injured a, your knee, for example, and, and you're in that early stage, yeah, you may, you're not, perhaps not going to be smashing out loads of knee extensions or like squats because it's loading the knee joint. But there's nothing stopping you doing clams and, and like hip extensions and like you, you, there's all you can always work around it you can always strengthen the joint above joint below and then gradually load the one that's irritable and that that's that that concept is is, is comprehensive capacity you're strengthening everything and and it's all to different degrees you might be doing something really hard for one joint but then real light on one muscle and then a bit lower on the scale for the, for the injured muscle getting that balance right but making sure that person maintains their strength maintains their confidence is, is getting blood flowing through exercise which is going to speed up the recovery keeps them optimistic it, it's all the all the peace and love um which is that's what cam and i are real real passionate about 
um, as well in, in, in keeping people active and, and doing what they love. Uh, uh, yeah, that's it, basically. Yeah, keep, do, keep doing what you love and, and we're following the research as well to do that. And it might just be in a slightly modified way in those early stages. But one thing I always, um, I've been asked so much uh, as a physiotherapist in my career is um, how much pain should I, should I be in? Because I think that um, so often uh, that education in those really early stages is overlooked. So people's expectations are that pain should mean that they shouldn't do anything. After an injury, it's going to be painful. But there is a certain amount of pain that you can, as long as you can tolerate, as long as it's not associated with increased swelling or any increased pain, then that's absolutely fine. And some of the research looking at a very particular type of injury called tendinopathy looks at how much pain um, someone can be in um, uh, during that rehab process. And they discuss a four out of 10 pain as being something, uh, a level of pain that doesn't flare, flare it up for 24 hours afterwards. And that's something I try and always say to get across to people that this will be a little bit painful, but as long as you're not going any more than a four out of 10 pain in those early stages, and as long as it's not associated with any increased pain for 24 hours or any increased swelling, then you're absolutely fine. Because what we see so much that delays the healing process and results in problems down the, down the line is that if someone has become fearful of moving as a result of that pain, they stop doing anything with that joint. That means that that new tissue that, that has formed doesn't become strong, doesn't become resilient. Um, and then that's what we have to try and address down the line. So I can't highlight the importance more of that education and, um, and uh, optimism in those early stages of the rehab. Just letting someone know what, what to expect over the rehab journey can be really helpful. And it can kind of take the, the fear away of, uh, of moving an injured um an injured joint, an injured muscle, an injured anything, really. There's nothing better than having somebody in, you know, some, uh, someone of your guard's position saying to you, yes, you can do some movement. Yes, you can load a little bit of, uh, you can bear a little bit of load. And there's nothing better than that when you're, when you're somebody who is active and you hear that, it does give you the confidence to go, that's really good. You know, that's, that's a positive sign. Um, a quick question then. Um, and uh, it's a, it's a bit of a blunt one, but I guess it'd um, be quite interesting for the listeners to, to hear is if I was to injure a, so for example, you just said there, a soft tissue injury. Um, if we get all these stages correct, can we get that, um, can we get that tissue back to its original state or would they always have that weakness in there? Yeah, I think that that's a real good question. And it, it comes, it comes down to how severe was the injury. So if, if, for example, someone is in a, a road traffic accident, they completely smash and fracture their ankle into three, like, like they fracture their fibula, their tibia, and they dislocate their ankle, and it, that, that's, that's, that's a nasty injury, and they need surgery, then although those tissues with surgery will, will heal, the likelihood that it will be 100% it, it, it's unlikely, then that they'll do really well if they get to 90% of their pre, pre-accident level. But that, that's like that's in an extreme case um, where someone's had surgery and a high level trauma. When we're talking about muscle strains or tendon strains, remember they're graded grade one to three. If it's a simple grade one or grade two injury, um, that, that's the majority of what we see uh, in clinic. Then hundred percent, I'm a big believer that you can fully recover to the level, if not better than, than, than what you came in with. 
um, but you have to follow the stages. I think one of the one of the big mistakes people make is they get over that first acute stage, which is really painful. They're starting to do their exercises with physio. They're feeling really good, but it might only be two, three weeks since the injury. Now that's only in the second stage. If you remember, it takes it can take four to six weeks for the quicker ones to to fully heal. And they're trying to go back to their sport at two weeks in just because they're feeling a bit better. But that scar tissue is still a bit weak. You haven't given it a chance to really strengthen up and load it through like those harder exercises. So there is that risk of going back too soon. But I think if you're patient, and if the, if the physio makes, the, makes you aware that it's going to take a little bit longer to, and, and you're going to have to build up your exercises, then, then you can. And, and with good programming as well and just modifying things, definitely. Um, one example... I sometimes say is as your tendon or as your muscles healing in that stage two is there's that scar tissue is almost like cooked spaghetti and it's almost like a a mesh of adhesions that that's formed a scar now that's weaker than than your uninjured tendon which runs parallel and and is strong and contracts in, in in this kind of fashion if you go back to sport too soon like this, then it's weaker and you, and you do risk flaring it up and slowing that healing process. But if, if through exercises and graduated loading, you build that strength up, you, you change the contractile properties of that tendon to match the demands of what you want to do and sometimes make it even stronger, then, then, you, then you can be injury free and it's really good. And you're also building confidence through that extra rehab. Some people, so they've hurt themselves doing a deadlift, they're sometimes a bit scared to go back to it especially when it gets heavy and with the rehab you get a chance to to, to build that confidence because you've taken them all the way up to, to where they were before um so uh, yeah you can it just depends on the severity of the injury but i, I think you can for those more simple ones dan dan has been so excited to get in that spaghetti analogy <laughs> i was wondering <laughs> where can i worm it in <laughs> would you say would you say with age um that obviously with age, that's um, healing process will slow down. That's so, a real good also, point. Yeah, so um, def- yes, with age, um, but there's a number of other factors that impact tissue healing as well. So abilities, whether you've got any other illnesses, lifestyle factors, if you're, um, if you're really overweight, if you smoke, if you drink, these are all things that can really negatively impact tissue healing. But yes, invariably, as you get older, that does um, slow down a little bit. But, you know, one of the best ways, as we said, of optimizing that healing process is, is being fit, is being active. And um, so that stands people in really good stead. Um, so uh, age does does affect it a little bit, yes. Yeah, age age and comorbidities will definitely have an impact on that healing process. The the physiology is the same for everyone, but the quality of that will be different based on how healthy, how young, how active you are. Definitely. Okay, guys, you mentioned uh, tendinopathy, uh, tendonitis. Um, it's an injury that we see very. It's a very common injury, um, but a lot of people will have it and not even know that they that, that what it you know that's exactly what it is um talk us through talk us through um yeah talk us through it basically the tendonitis you know where we see it often and um how we can sort of recover from it should we say yeah so i think what's important to, to start off with um in describing a tendinopathy is explaining what a tendon is so a tendon is the link between a muscle and a bone. 
And its role really is to transmit force through from the muscle into the bone to allow a movement at a joint. And um, a tendinopathy is a very unique subset of injuries. And it ties back in with our, uh, our last podcast where we talked about the two different types of non-contact injury are the ones that in, involve a high amount of energy in a really short amount of time that can result in a, in a muscular tear or a tear in the tendon. And then you get the other types of injury, which is a kind of low grade overload over a long period of time, which mainly affects the tendon and really is what a tendinopathy is so you get changes within the tendon itself and they kind of refer to this as micro trauma so you know dan's spaghetti analogy that he's been <laughs> desperate to get in if you, were to, again. if you were to look under a microscope on a tendon with a tendinopathy you get very very small areas of and um, that, that that mismatch that cellular mismatch um uh, sorry that collagen mismatch and that can result in, in pain, discomfort, sometimes swelling. And there's really common areas of the body that you can get this in. So runners, Achilles tendinopathy is quite common. And um, we were talking before about tennis and golfers elbow, both examples of tendinopathy. You can get it in your hamstring, all kind of high low tendon areas. Um, and it's often associated, as I said, with repeated low level overload. So think about, um, for example, plasterers who are doing a very similar movement day in, day out, which can result in an overload of that tendon. Um, but the way in which you manage it is actually quite similar to, to what Dan introduced earlier about those tissue healing, um, the kind of tissue healing timeline. What's really important with the tendinopathy is allowing those symptoms to settle in the early stages. Because stage one really of a tendinopathy is something called um, uh, a, a reactive process where there's a little bit of inflammation, it's particularly painful. And if you just continue to, to aggravate that, it just continues to be reactive, continues to be painful. So it's really important to, to let that settle down in the first instance. But then once it is settled down, what you need to do is engage in a graduated strengthening program that's gonna help develop the capacity of that tendon to be able to tolerate the loads going through it. But this is an injury that takes a long time um and and one that we, we we see and treat quite a lot of yeah they tend to be really irritable so they can be flared up quite easily and i think in answer to your question Ray, the reason why people they're quite common is because the as the muscle contracts it pulls on the tendon which then moves the bone so all that force of that muscular contraction is going through the tendon and so it, especially in like the forearm where you've got lots of muscles there all attaching onto one small prominence on the elbow every time you contract and grip it's all pulling and pulling and pulling and that that repeated over time either like low load like the plasterer doing it day in day out or like a big big trauma that's just too much that can cause inflammation and and because it's or the nature of it every time you then use that muscle it's pulling and pulling so it's actually really hard to rest these tendinopathies because every time you move you're, you're going to be flaring it up and um, so that they are really tricky to, to treat and they'll, they'll occur on the most common um or the, or the co common tendons of the the big tendons of the body so like cam said elbow shoulder knee your achilles um but the healing process is the same as what we've described um there's just different research studies will we'll call it different terms, but essentially there's, there's got to be a period of rest 
uh, where you allow that inflammation and all those um, cells to come in to start that healing process as that scar tissue forms and you want to start strengthening it up and building it up and keeping active. Modifying <coughs> I think um, also like when we when people experience these type of injuries, when you're coming back, I just want to put one out there, um, that the tendon needs a lot more time to warm up. So what you what your normal warm-up would need to be extended, I, I would I would say, um, and as we spoke about it earlier, there's other things that you can do is like the voodoo flossing. I found that that's really effective just to help get more blood flow into that tendon. And get it warm. What, what, what's your thought processes on that? Yeah, so that's quite a classic um, symptom of, of tendon related pain is that at, at the onset of movement, it's a little bit painful mm. and then it eases off. But then with continued loading, it starts to flare up again. So that point in the middle where your symptoms aren't too irritable is where we need to work in. And that's why that research looking at how much pain to be in with, um, with tendon related injuries is really helpful. Because what you tend to find is, is some people, as soon as they get any level of pain, that you stop doing any activity. And that's not helpful for getting that capacity into the tendon. Equally, sometimes in more active populations, you see people that kind of ignore the pain a little bit, flare it up on every training session. And actually, sometimes they're the harder ones to manage because you're trying to get them to, to reduce their loading, to prevent keeping them in that reactive, aggravating stage. But as you said, yeah, a thorough warm-up can be really, really helpful. But that warm-up has to be specific to the site of that tendon. You're going to warm those tendons up in a slightly different way, depending on whether it's lower limb or upper limb. But um, and pitching the, the, the level of load at the right level is really important. Um, and that has to be individualised for each person. Yeah. yeah. One big thing as well in the rehab of tendons is as you, there's different types of muscle contraction. So there's a static contraction, an isometric, there's a concentric, so shortening of the muscle, and then an eccentric lengthening phase. You, the best rehab outcomes are when you combine all three of those into your rehab program. And it might be at different, different times. So obviously the static contraction is gonna be a lot less sore than, than the one where you're working through range. But you, you, when you're rehabbing, if you want to rehab, all three and that's that's where a good physio program can help you as well because sometimes if you just rest it and then you go straight back to that activity then then it is really sore because you haven't built it up in that in the, almost those layers of contraction and built the strength up and um, there's some studies as well that show like in that that eccentric controlled lowering is combined with the others is 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 the most effective form of rehab so you want you want to combine that slow controlled tempo work um, as part of your program, especially for tendons, I would say. Cam, would, would you do anything differently? Yeah, definitely. And as I said, that there's um, there's a difference in the research regarding the way in which you rehab upper limb and lower limb tendons, just because the role of that tendon is somewhat different. Lower limb tendons um, often transmit a huge amount of force. And if you think about an Achilles tendon, uh, its main role is that plyometric loading, so that ability to store and release energy really quickly. And often that's, uh, that's the last thing that we're going to introduce into, into your rehabilitation program. And, and Ray, this is, I, I know that this is one that you found with, with your hamstring. Sorry, I hope you don't mind me mentioning. Wow. Is it that, that plyometric loading is that end stage rehab that we're at now where there's a really fine balance between getting a little bit in, but then doing it too much and it flaring it up. 
And, yeah, and the, sorry. Go on, no, go on, mate. No. No, no, I was saying the, the, the key there is so you can do a certain amount of exercise and think, oh, that's fine, it's working, all right. And then with this, that type of injury, 24 hours, maybe 48, then you start feeling the aggravation again. And you're like, oh, I've done too much. And it's trying to find that fine balance between loading it, exercising it, and then that little tipping point where, and I think you've just got to increase that tipping point Gradually, but it's getting it gradually. That's what's frustrating because you're going to want to, once you get to that level, you want to be back doing everything. Yeah, sometimes those extra five to 10 reps can be enough to tip you over the edge. Yeah. And and that's one big thing that we always try and get across with the rehab of tendon related injuries is that sometimes it's not on the day that you might notice you flared it up, it's 24 hours later. And as soon as you understand that, that changes the way in which you approach your, your rehabilitation. And it means that you are more in control of your symptoms rather than your symptoms controlling you. And that, that, that's where it's real good to keep a diary. Sometimes when someone keeps flaring it up, keeps flaring it up, we're like, okay, cool, let, let's just track your, your yeah, yeah. Uh, training or exercise or work, whatever it is. And then, and then you can start to be like, okay, I felt sore the day after I did... 30 chester bars like like yeah. uh, at the time it wasn't painful but the day after it was and then based on 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 that irritability factor which cam's talked about we, we don't want it to be painful um the next it, within those 24 hours that that's you pushed it too much but if but if it's not then we're like okay cool that, that those 30 chester bars they were good fine let's carry on and it, that, that's a good marker especially if you're getting stuck keep yeah. a diary we, we'd always ask you to do that anyway because then we can we can guide you through it and that's part of it of just making small tweaks, talking with the coach, keeping your training. Um, yeah, they're, they're tricky to treat though. I, I find the elbows real tricky because um, they're always they're all, you're always gripping. It's real hard to rest your elbow. Um, definitely. I guess it's one of those. Um, you know, with, with what you're talking about, what we're talking about here is you know. <laughs> To stop and do absolutely nothing is quite hard in everyday life. And these types of, you know, the injury is there, but actually you still need to use the joints to do everyday things. And that's where you start to have that balance of like, right, okay, maybe I need to just take a step back here. But actually I still, like you said, there with the plaster, I need to go to work. Life gets away sometimes. And that's why some of these these tendon related injuries are really different. Yeah. Um, I just want to ask, you know, probably going to, you were talking there about uh, Ray said about the the flossing and and some of the tools. So um, for some of our some of our listeners that maybe are fairly competitive within their within their sport, I just want to ask a, a question um, just around recovery whilst competing. Um, so or even whilst sort of playing a sport uh, on a regular basis. So if you're somebody who trains every single day for for your specific sport how does the recovery process change between somebody who's training regularly or even at a competition or a, you know a major competition or some how does that compare to somebody who's recovering from a um from an injury are are, are the processes similar yeah so um this is one that uh, in doing some research for for this podcast me and dan are really excited to talk about because um there are definitely some things that you can do as a non-injured athlete to help you uh, optimize your recovery for the next training session. 
And this is something that we're always trying to implement on our elite athlete pathway at South Coast RX as well. We, we work with some, some athletes and, and some of the work that we do is about trying to help them recover so that they can get the most out of their next training session. Um, so I'm going to introduce two of the biggest things that you can do, and it's not the glamorous stuff. So, you know, we talked before about training smart. If you're talking about the, the uh, a pyramid of stuff that you can do and it's going to get um, the most benefit from, training smart has got it is the biggest one. Avoiding those big spikes in loads that are going to wipe your body out, that's going to mean that you can't recover for the next training session is the biggest one. But then the next two layers after that are sleep and nutrition. And um, just introducing a couple of things about, um, about nutrition. One, one thing I want to highlight here is that this advice is not for someone who's on a diet. This is nutrition to, to optimize performance and optimize recovery. So immediately after a training session, if you can take on board um, a mixture of carbohydrates and protein, um, that's going to increase the um, uh, restoration of glycogen stores in your muscle, but it's also going to increase the stimulation of protein synthesis to allow, you to, to, to allow your muscles to recover. And research has shown that taking carbs and protein together is better at restoring those glycogen stores than taking carbohydrates alone, but then also um, increases the stimulation of protein synthesis more than if you just took protein alone. So taking them together is a really good idea. Um, and then there's some other interesting stuff about um, out there about how to optimize your recovery as well. So in looking at this, uh, the research, taking um, tart cherry juice, um, so taking 60 mils a day has been shown to um, uh, increase, well, decrease inflammation in your body, increase melatonin, helping you sleep better, um, but actually increase your recovery from session to session. So you can supplement with that. There's good evidence about creatine supplementation in recovery as well. And then also taking omega-3. So those four things are what the evidence shows is the best things that you can implement in your, in your diet to help recovery. Um, and then the next big thing is sleep. So this is something that me and Dan are really passionate about. And talk a book about a book called Why We Sleep All The Time. <laughs> have to read it that book yeah that's because i was always of the mindset i oh, wake up early conquer the morning train like be be efficient and then i read that and i was like well actually if if you know ex if exercise was a pill everyone would take it because it's it's got so many benefits sleep is on the level it's it's yeah. just as important in every single aspect obviously we're talking about tissue recovery and healing and then it's got a huge um important role to play in that which which we'll, we'll go into now sorry cam to interrupt no, yeah, no, no, no. yeah we um so we're obsessed with this topic but there was um there was a, a scientific uh, paper that was released this year and it was entitled sleep and the athlete so Uh, like a consensus statement from of the expert in the field of, of sleep research and bearing in mind sleep is something that um uh, we do for such a significant portion of our lives really it's only been properly researched in the past 15 to 20 years so if you sleep in seven hours a night regularly this is going to um, impair your cognition your ability to learn and consolidate um, memories throughout the day it's going to have an impact on your mental well-being but actually it really disrupts and um, the growth and repair of the cells in your body 
It impacts your metabolism of glucose and it can negatively impact your immune response as well. And that's all just from sleep. Um, having having a good quality eight hours sleep a night is, is massively important for, for recovery. But they, good research has shown as well that if you can't get that, if you do sleep under eight hours, that actually having a nap in the day, 20 to 30 minutes, has been shown to increase alertness, increase concentration, and even improve your motor performance as well. So a lot of the um, professional football teams have imp- implemented this as a, um, as a strategy. So they've actually built like little sleeping pods within training centers so that um, athletes now can have, a, can have a nap after training. Um, to, to, to get all the benefits from that? I, I started um, getting a bit obsessive with sleeping or, or data, reading up on sleeping when um, we had our second child. Because what I found, and I'll find any parents out there, what you start doing is having like interrupted sleep constantly because the babies are waking you up. And then that starts affecting your training, affecting everything. And I really started getting into it and now I spend a lot of time now, like that's when I start writing programs for people, this is the most important thing of the pyramid. I do, I, like I've got my own sort of pyramid where sleep is the, the base, then nutrition, then exercise. Because I find if your sleep's wrong, you're, what you do, if you're getting lack of sleep, what you do then is look for caffeine and sugar to keep you moving. Yeah, and then your exercise is just up and down because you haven't got the time to recover from it. Um, so, like I, like I said to you guys, sleep is the base. Is. I think is where everyone should and work. It, it's so it is, uh, yeah. and, it, and it improves. It's it's every single aspect from like weight gain to weight loss. It sleep will reset those hormones from chronic stress yeah. and cortisol levels, which has an impact on immune system and healing. Sleep will reset it even learning, like yeah. recovery of the tissue, it's, it's everything sleep will affect, um, which, which, which I underestimated in the past, but I'm glad we talked about it now. And, it, and there's, um, it's also, say you've got a big competition, most athletes will say, yeah, I'll, I'll get a good night's sleep before, but you should be doing that all the time. And, and also it's just as important after as well. So after a heavy session, you'll repair when you're sleeping. And so I found- like there, was, there was a real interesting uh, journal which which links the nutrition aspect of Cameron was talking about. But if you if you take a, like a, a, some protein just before you sleep and then have a good quality sleep, then your tissue repair that they did that they found was actually more effective in those those patients that um, had a good night's good quality sleep and took some protein before before they slept, as opposed to people that just had the protein supplement or just had to, the quality sleep. So I. So nutrition and sleep are massive. Together with smart training and and a sensible program, that's the foundation. It's good to mention that pyramid because a lot of people will go straight to cupping, dry needling, um, which which is really important, but that is the icing. That's your your 2%. That's that's like you're doing everything else right and you want to make those marginal gains. Like the Great Britain cycling team, they're looking for every possible thing then those then you do all those adjuncts but for i'd say for the average person you've got to get your training sleep and nutrition right you could argue which one is the foundation that they probably all are in together yeah, yeah. they're just as important um, the, um, i was to say that when you when you say when you said about the sleep there so i used to have so as as we all do as probably most of the world does they sort of 
there's some mornings you wake up and you're like, I'm ready. And then some mornings you wake up and you go, I don't want to go to work today. I just want to go back to bed because I feel, feel like I need another couple of hours sleep. And what I used to do is I used to repeat my previous day and go in, in myself. I was going, well, what did I eat that day? What did I do that day that made me wake up the next morning feeling rubbish? And then you start to really learn and go, actually, it's not about what I ate or what I'd done the day before. It's about how I slept that night. And that was what was making the difference. And that's like, it just, it all ties together with what you guys are talking about at the minute. Yeah. Um, but it's such an interesting subject. And you know, Dan, you were talking about um, uh, kind of uh, sleeping in preparation for a competition. In yeah. reading this, um, this expert census yeah. consensus, um, they talked about the benefit of sleep banking. So if you know that you're going to go for one or two days with less than eight hours sleep, you can actually bank sleep over the course of kind of two weeks leading up to that. So if you sleep a little bit extra each night for two weeks and then followed by a period of sleep deprivation, actually the negative impact of those sleep de- of that sleep deprivation is going to be less because you've banked more sleep in the um, in the time running up to that. So it's just a little <laughs> that you can implement. And I think I think like like you, Dan, reflecting on personal experiences, I, I can think of one time when we, uh, Lily and I were going on holiday. We had to wake up at 2 a.m. To, to get to Gatwick to get that first flight. And I remember that night I slept for like three hours and I felt like I, I, I felt rubbish for the rest of the day. And like you're irritable, like you almost you feel like you've got a cold. You know, you don't. I, I think yeah, yeah. It, and I, that was just one one day's poor sleep. And, mm-hmm. it, and if people are doing that chronically over time because of their busy life and, and just maybe not aware of the benefits and then that's that's huge so i'm glad you Parent, talked about that. parenthood is that's how it, it, you know sometimes you're like feeling like that for weeks that's why yeah. I, I say about that's what taught me about sleep the most i think having kids because i just took it for granted sleep i just went to sleep got up you know some days i felt good some days i felt didn't you know i didn't really think about sleep is having that interruption of your sleep over a long period of time, and then you find that you're really struggling with your nutrition because you're grabbing sugar to 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 keep you moving. Yeah. I was saying to um, uh, Cameron recently, I've struggled to sleep because I think because the gym's opening up soon, so all my mind my mind's going crazy. Um, and what I normally what what I always you know, always say to people is get up at the same time every day, even on a Sunday. So you get into a routine, you get a habit. And I was even doing that and I kept that and I was still struggling to sleep at night. And I've just started, uh, I downloaded an app, then I came and I was telling him, what I listened to as a thunderstorm. And it's the last two nights, well, three nights now, I've, passed, I've been out cold. So it's really helped. So if anyone else is struggling to sleep, like those that, that. Really interesting. It's almost like that, because um, there is like, strategies you can implement for like to improve your yeah. sleep hygiene and that that's one and then the other like thing is like don't have too much screen time isn't it before like half the hour before bed try and dim the lights those little yeah. things might help people but that's that, that, that almost links into a bit of like mindfulness as well like you're yeah. where you've you've got a lot going on it's getting towards the end of the day your mind's just got working overtime actually just focusing on that thunderstorm is like you almost like just take sort your time out that noise isn't it yeah which which yeah, actually that like, that, that's i can relate to that in, in times when i've had a lot on and then yeah like, you do like 
like listening to the waves or something and then you're like actually I've slept a lot better now so yeah that's a real good thing to like, hopefully it helps other people as well yeah that's why I thought I'd quickly get that in case anyone's struggling with sleep because it's not been a thing apart from when I had kids and they've been waking me up it's not been a thing I've really struggled with normally I can go to sleep because I set because I get up at the same time every day um, yeah. I'm in the habit so I'd normally go to bed at the same time every day um, but good. like the last month I've really struggled because your body's uh, so that, got that natural rhythm, hasn't it? So if, you, yeah, if, you, yeah. if, you, if you're always having, if you do shift work, that can that really like affect yeah. that. Yeah, uh, and people get a lot of troubles there. Yeah, um, I think something that might help people is um, Matthew Walker. That book is Why We Sleep. I, it, it it really taught me a lot. He's also got a 19, 20 minute YouTube video or TED talk on it, and that will summarise the book. And it's a real easy listen, so that, that's well worth listening to. Brilliant. We'll, uh, we'll see if we can get that up on our um, on our Instagram page as well, so we can get some links in there. That'd be really cool. Yeah. Brilliant, guys! It's been incredible again. Yeah, um, yeah. absolutely. Um, it's it's uh, as as you can see, we could we could probably again we could probably do another episode um, yeah. on bits, but this is these last two episodes have been absolutely incredible, and to have you guys on and um, and what I do want to say as well is you guys have taken the time out to research and you know you've taken on board some of the questions that we wanted to ask um and you've taken those on and you've researched and you've, you've come back and it's been incredible so thank you again for coming on and taking some time out oh it's yeah, been an absolute guys. pleasure thank you so much for having yeah. us yeah. it's been awesome it's always good to have a chat at it we said before didn't we before we started that these are the sort of things that we just talk naturally in the gym about and it's nice to sort of like sort of have this this chat should we say this this chat and have people um, listen in and hopefully get some something from it. Do you know what I mean? You you guys are really experienced with what you do, and um, it's good to share the share the knowledge. I think. Yeah, Thanks definitely. I think um, one thing that Dan said before as well is that if if anyone does have any questions or just wants to reach out for some advice, either just grab me in the gym or, or just give us a message. We're we're always more than happy to just talk through stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely message on facebook or email yeah yeah always and, and obviously look out for your instagram posts and your um your blogs and that so they get lots of information from there as well yeah definitely again guys thank you very much um it's been an absolute pleasure like we said and um take care thanks Everyone, guys and uh, stay strong <laughs>